Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. As the story goes, it was a beautiful Sunday morning, much like the one we had today. It was a First Baptist Church in a state capital And the parishioners had moved from Sunday school to the sanctuary for worship. Now, it was a different era than the one we have today. You had to get out of Sunday school quickly or you might have trouble finding a seat in worship. During this time, women wore hats, gloves even. There was a kind of chivalry. And at this First Baptist Church... The individuals held their heads high. The service was lovely. The choir did an outstanding job. A deacon shared, read scripture, prayed. And at the end of the service, when the pastor had made his invitation for those to come and be baptized, or to join the church by transfer of their letter from another church, a young lady stood and walked down. The woman who came down the aisle had a beautiful, dark shade of skin. Her hair was different. She stood out. And everyone watched very carefully. The pastor standing in front took the hand of the young lady and they consulted. At the end of the hymn, the pastor seated them. And he began to introduce this young lady. His voice was pitched, but his face seemed expressionless to the moment there was, collectively, tension in the room. As was the custom, the congregation was beginning to give their assent to vote on this candidate for membership when an individual in the back stood up and said, Pastor, if I may have a moment congregation all turned to this individual. This individual was no stranger to the church, a lion in this church, a leader, the pride of this church, an elected official that went to work in Washington, D.C. on behalf of this state. Pastor, if I may, just just a moment. I'd like to volunteer, brothers and sisters, that our candidate might be more at home at the other First Baptist Church. The one, of course, where she would look like the others in the pews. He sat back down. The church voted. And the young lady's membership request was denied.
The church was on the verge of a split in the years after Jesus' resurrection over the issue of who could be a part of the church. Some in the church thought that you first had to be a Jew. But then there were others who thought that belonging to Jesus meant that you were released from previous allegiances and obligations. Now, this may seem mundane, Followed away and boring but important. But the truth of the matter is, this is tricky. Jesus himself was Jesus, was Jewish. But he also commanded his followers to make disciples of all nations, beginning in Jerusalem and going to Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. In fact, the New Testament tells about how Jesus commanded a devout Jew by the name of Saul, who would later change his name, remember that, to Paul telling him to be a missionary to non-Jews. So which is it? Are newcomers to the church to be Jewish first and then like Christ? Or could you skip that? Could you find a new identity, throwing off what you had been before to be a part of the church in Jesus' name? It's Paul who's writing a letter to the churches in a region where they are about to be torn apart by this distinction. He's trying to prevent a split between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. So he writes a letter. He's encouraging these non-Jewish Christians to remember their baptism. He's trying to tell them that they don't have to become Jewish first. He's trying to tell them that because of their baptism, they are initiated into Christ who makes the differences that they have fade away. Paul begins his argument by taking on the law. Law, capital L. He writes, now before faith in Jesus came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. Imprisoned, guarded, disciplined. Y'all, this sounds like a trip to your in-laws. But this is how Paul is talking about the law, which is strange because if you read the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, you will determine that the law was a gift. It was something to be prized. It was the way God's people acted and were, in fact, God's people. Faithfulness and obedience to the law was the way that people could be satisfied that they were enough the religious language there is that they were righteous or justified, that they were okay. But the people who enforced the law had become harsh taskmasters, doing more damage than good. It was Jesus who said that the law was making the case for exclusion when all God wanted was to love inclusively. Perhaps our problem is what goes on behind me. 
It's easy to miss. It's always there. No, it's not the choir. No, it's not the beautiful flowers that, because of you all, adorn our sanctuary and enable us to see them over my shoulder. When the pastor drolls on and on, we can remember the beauty uh, out there, even though we feel hostage in here. But it's not the flowers nor the choir loft that I'm referring to. It's the baptistry, the baptismal pool, the place that we fill up when someone wants to be initiated into our church. Maybe we don't take it seriously enough. Perhaps we should keep it filled all the time. Yes, it might leak. Yes, it might get a a layer of scum on the top. But maybe the visual of the water that we enter to become family together should be a constant reminder for us. You see, in the early days of the church, candidates for baptism learned what it meant to be a people of faith in Jesus. Now, this was a departure for everyone. And this was a long and extended process of learning and growing. And then at dawn on Easter Sunday morning, they would come in their old clothes, take them off, and allow themselves to be immersed, buried with Christ, born to walk in newness of life. And when they did, trying to catch their breath, wiping their eyes, with Brothers and sisters now in Christ singing songs of faithfulness around them, they were given two things, a new name, a new identity, and new clothes. Baptism wipes the the slate clean. Paul says, those of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Literally, you've put on Christ. And in many ways, it covers our distinctiveness. It covers the differences that we may have. Somebody put it better than I can. They said, because of Jesus, all of the old entry-level discriminations are rendered meaningless. Key phrase, because of Jesus. To make it clear, Paul references Christ five times in three verses. It's true. I'm now counting references to Jesus. And why? Because, y'all, Jesus is all that matters to Paul and to us. Paul says, we are in Christ Jesus. We are baptized into Christ. We've put on Christ. We are one in Christ. We belong to Christ. It's not an accident. And it's not because he's not a literary genius. Christ is central to the new identity we have together. Because Jesus changes everything. Let's be mindful of the fact that many of Jesus' changes were not welcome. Jesus was crucified because he was an agent of change. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. So in stating this, Paul first addresses the racial and ethnic divide. Jew versus non-Jew. You think the differences between Carolina and Duke fans are significant? Y'all, the Jewish non-Jewish distinction was significant. But according to Paul and Jesus, there's no place for racial or ethnic prejudice. 
The second, there's no longer any social prejudice between slave or free or stations in this world. And finally, there's no longer any discrimination upon the basis of gender. <laughs> Don't stop there, Paul. Keep preaching. What other differences does our shared relationship with Christ overcome? I mean, let's look each other in the eyes. What other differences do we need to overcome to remember our baptism in Christ Jesus? I'm sure you could think of some other areas of distinction that keep us apart. You're probably more aware of them than I am when you scroll your Facebook feed. We have political differences, maybe even lifestyle differences. So Paul, I'd prefer for you to keep going. Are these the only distinctions that go away? Huh. With so many things that could divide us or that we think may disqualify us from belonging to Jesus, Paul is telling us that Jesus gives us something to have in common. Jesus. Do you think that we are the first to discriminate against one another? Are you under the impression that we invented polarization? Y'all, carving up people on the basis of our differences is the oldest trick in the book. It's been employed to justify our righteousness. It's been used to preserve the privilege some have enjoyed by perpetuating the status quo. It's been the cause of hatred and genocide, war and evil throughout human history. This is not a new story. Treating others as second-class citizens isn't new, and neither are the excuses for perpetuating them. In Jesus, there is no longer Jew nor Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Do you believe this? Because we don't act like it. Paul's not making this up. Jesus, with his disciples at the Last Supper, his prayer to the Father is that they might all be one, just as he and the Father in heaven are one. As Charles Cousar puts it, unity in Christ means that the barriers, the hostility, the chauvinism, the superiority and inferiority become the categories that are destroyed. Paul wrote this to a whole collection of churches in Galatia. An ocean and a continent away at a time that couldn't look more different than today and that couldn't be more similar. Our call right now as a church is to practice being one in Christ Jesus. Who knew that that would be so hard? We have differences, it's true. Some of these differences are profound. We see the world differently because our experiences in this world are profoundly different. We have our prejudices. We do. I do. 
lay out tests of purity, couldn't we? We could demand that we cleanse the church of all those who might disagree with us. So we'd go about condemning, damning, cleansing anyone who we might label as variant. And if you want to see what this looks like, just look around. Because no, you don't have to go back to 1957 to see what challenges lay before us. Is this who we're called to be? I don't know. I believe that Paul's words here give us reason to speak about unity and to seek it at a time of great fragmentation. I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm not so sure that there's an appetite for a middle ground approach that we've tried so hard to preserve. Coming out of the 20th century, this church had a profound and important distinction in that we could have different political perspectives and approaches to the challenges that we face. I'm finding this to be harder and harder to hold together, y'all. And I don't think I'm telling you anything that you don't already sense yourself. The challenge that we face is that there's something within us increasingly a voice louder and louder that wants to say no those people can't be a part of us so we become the senator in the story that stands up in front of our churches and advocates for a kind of purity to preserve what's always been there we become the one who advocates that only some of us can be part of the fellowship not careful we become what we despise we become what we can't imagine has taken place in the history of our churches we hold ourselves with unwarranted authority about who can and who can't belong to Christ Brothers and sisters, that is not our call. Here's the thing. Of all the different groups and platforms and communities that could make decisions about our key differences, I prefer the discernment of a church who prizes Jesus as the rule for understanding Scripture and the world around us. In all the different ways that we could judge the world or the culture or ourselves, which one do you want calling those shots? I am putting my weight on a church, an imperfect church, a church that has had to atone for its decision-making in the past, but a church that I believe makes the best decisions when we make them together. That's where I'm placing my money. A church, tattered, Tattered by cultural differences, torn apart because of a pandemic over two years in length. A church that people don't seem to have any more time for. The church is the one that I want making these decisions. But if we're going to make decisions about our distinctiveness, then we've all got to make them together. 
That's what the church did in Acts of the Apostles. There were disagreements, significant ones, about who could and who couldn't be a part of the church. So they spoke up. They argued. Peter, Paul, y'all, these heroes of the faith, they did not see eye to eye. Read your Bible. You'll see it. But they talked. They shared together. They believed that their identity that they shared as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus was the most important thing. And that as long as that was celebrated and championed, they could work out their differences. If you think about it, and with so many differences among us, Jesus may be the only thing that we have in common. Y'all, Jesus is enough. And anyone who tells you differently is reading from a different gospel. I believe that as followers of Jesus, we have a choice. I do. We can choose to focus on our differences. It's a sexy thing to do these days. But we can do it. We can focus on our differences. I mean, it's easy to spot our differences and then group up with like-minded, like-skinned, like-behaving people. We're wired that way. We are. And social media provides silos for us to be cordoned off from one another. We can choose that. We can be that kind of church. Or we can remember our baptism. We can remember our baptism and how we all desperately need Christ to practice unity. It's what happens after our baptism that is perhaps the most important. It's what happens as we emerge out of the water. Again, there's something very powerful about the fact that when someone is initiated into this new family, that we all remember that we are wet with our own waters of baptism, that we are all coming to the table at the same place. Because if we all belong to Jesus equally, then we must all acknowledge that we do so humbly. For humility means that we have to acknowledge that we don't have it all figured out. And that unity in Jesus means that we are all dependent on God's grace to know the way forward. We all deserve to have someone in the church stand up and protest our inclusion in the church. Each of us warrants that. For we are all sinners, but we are saved by grace. And it's grace in Christ Jesus that we must continually point to. Don't forget, y'all. Let's remember that we are Gentiles. We're not Jewish. If one faction of the early church had won out, we would not be able to be followers of Jesus without first becoming Jewish and adherents to the law. And from that vantage point, we're the outsiders in the argument that we're observing. But because of God's grace, 
Because of Christ Jesus, because Christ silences the voice that says we shouldn't belong, we have a place in God's family. Because we do. At a time when so many things could divide us, choosing and remembering Jesus is radical, but desperately needed. Five times. Five times in three verses. That's the right ratio for Christ in our lives. When our lives become saturated with Jesus, when we remember our baptism and that we are all here humbly because of grace, that other stuff, believe it or not, it finds its proper place. Let us pray. God, we're humbled by the fact that these ancient writings still speak to us today and they challenge and they convict us because the truth is, God, we're all that leader that wants to stand up and render judgment. So we pray, God, that you might forgive us. Forgive us, God, for the ways that we set ourselves up to be superior one to another. God, help us to recall, therefore, our baptism and the water that changes us and enables us all to be brothers and sisters in Christ, that you are the good father and no matter where any of us have run off to, you are there running to each of us, eager to hold us, to call to the other folk and say, let's throw a party. For this child of mine once was lost, but is now found. Yes, God, help us to remember who you are, who we are, and who you call us to be. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.